this newest episode of Agile After Dark, we get real about what stereotypes mean for those that are labeled by them, some techniques for addressing them head on, and the important influencers each of us had in our own journey of seeking understanding. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses Agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Woodford, sitting here in New Jersey, and with me virtually is sitting over there in Arizona, in Phoenix, Brandon Gartley, who you know. hey And our other amazing co-host, Jessica, is in Minnesota. Oh, hey. And also, our special guest today from Dallas, sunny Dallas, is Sunny Prashar. Yay! Yeah, yeah, we have a. This is this is exciting. This is kind of a full virtual uh, Agile After Dark episode. I think this is our first. Thank you, technology. Um, we've kind of figured it out. So yeah, very exciting. And uh, Greg, what about what's uh, what are we talking about today? Well, I think today the I think it's a topic that doesn't is probably isn't in the light of day as much as it should be is. Don't touch that dial, being attuned to stereotypes. And stereotypes cause a lot of inefficiency. They cut a lot of discrimination. They, they limit things. And so today we're going to address, um, you know, what, what is the cause and then how do we correct for that so that we have a very efficient organization? Yeah, Greg, what I like about what you said was there's there's a there's a whole series of kind of general stereotypes that are out there, right? There's racial profiling, gender profiling, cultural stereotypes, um, sexual stereotypes, um, but even in agile, there are stereotypes around scrum mastery, product mm-hmm. ownership, mm-hmm. developers, stuff like that. So there's there's a there's a whole host of stereotypes that we may or may not be aware of, um, and I think this is a this is going to be an interesting topic to chat about, um, and I know that Sunny has a lot of experience with. Um, with stereotypes, and I know one of the reasons we wanted to have him on this um, on this episode was because c- he's he's got a really interesting background um, that that surprises people sometimes, and not always in a good way. Um, so, Sunny, thoughts on stereotyping, or maybe some of your experiences with it? Um, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. First of all, um, this whole uh, area of stereotypes, you know, we we kind of jumped into this area uh, talking about um, just what my experiences was in life um, and uh, where I've come from. So I'm, 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 I was born and raised in England. Um, my parents are from India uh, originally. Um, they moved to England in 66. So my parents, all they've been known in their adult life is, is England. Uh, but I think about all the different stereotypes that um, I have either been brought up around and in our working life. Um, everything has uh, a connection to, uh, as, as Greg mentioned, whether it's whether it's uh, it's your, your your ethnic back background, whether it's your gender. It all has a, um, a point of reference that I think in in our in our day to day lives we need to really acknowledge that and really uh, see how it impacts us in the yeah, agile way of working. Well, and Sunny, I would add too that there is, and those are the, you know, sometimes the gender or race thing is pretty obvious, but there are also personality types 
especially as it relates to sort of developers and those kinds of things, that if you're somebody who's shy, if you're somebody who's demure, you know, somebody who isn't doesn't feel comfortable being vocal about things, that's a stereotype too. It's like, oh, well, they those people don't really care or they're not strong. But that's not true necessarily, right? I mean, you can have a, a, a person who's shy who has a very strong opinion about something. They're just not being able to express it. Yeah, and that, that's really important. I, I absolutely agree with you, uh, Greg, because I think about uh, what you just said there. What's resonating with me is uh, a lot of um, developers are somewhat in introverted, right? And and some of the cultures around that are kind of uh, uh, dr uh, draws them away from engagement. Uh, and you're right that some of these guys are probably the most in, in, uh, uh, kind of smartest people that you've worked with. But yeah, it's really hard to bring them in and bring them out into that conversation. And passionate, right? Mm -hmm. Smart, passionate. Yep. Yeah, we we kind of talked about this on that podcast we did, Greg, a while ago uh, with Carrie about <clears throat> kind of the industrial organizational psychology piece. We were talking about HR and, you know, we were talking about introverts and how you deal with them. And, you know, I think she made a great point then that's kind of stuck with me, which is, and it kind of builds on what Jessica and Sonny said, is they may be, have the most interesting things to say. They may actually have the the reason is that they're not saying is they're processing, they're trying to mm. understand what it yeah. is that is actually going on versus just having an immediate yeah. reaction and maybe being the loudest person in the room, which may not be the best voice to necessarily be out there. But I kind of want to go back real quick because I think this is Agile After Dark. Some of the stuff we've been talking about, most people are like, yeah, yeah, we've kind of heard about this. Yeah, this is, you know, we've kind of heard some of this in the news or, you know, in a training that I've had to do for work or what have you. But I mean, Sonny, I think you have had some some personal experiences with kind of your early career, right, in England and so forth. That you know, I think hearing it directly from you would be it would be good for our listeners to kind of hear what that effect had on you personally, because we don't always hear that side of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, yeah, these some of these uh, examples here are a little bit uncomfortable to hear, I guess, mm -hmm. and maybe not as. Uh, accepting today, but you, I started my career, what year was it now, 2000, 99-2000 is when I started my career, so a while, while ago. Um, it may not be seen that long ago, but in terms of where we were in tw 20 years ago, things have progressed somewhat, but um, when I graduated in, in 2000 with my undergraduate degree, I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a job because... Um, uh, in the year 2000, a lot of companies have spent a lot of, a lot of money in, in subsequent years for uh, making sure they were Y2K uh, compliant. And in Y2K, this is, that was years ago. Yes, uh, they spent a lot of money on that. So I actually graduated, couldn't find a, uh, a graduate position because there was nothing out there. I ended up um, uh, building a service for a year and then uh, finding a job. Even, even after that was pretty difficult. Um, managed to get my foot through the door. The hardest thing is... Uh, when you get your foot through the door, the stereotype of, you know, yeah, this guy's a graduate, um, um, you know, he's looking to take my job, you know, especially from managers who haven't been to college, they, 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 they hold you back. They're not looking to harness uh, your knowledge and your experience. They're looking to hold you back because they have fear in the system. The fear is, you know, how, is this person trying to take my role? And obviously you hired me for a reason. It wasn't because it just because just, just it happened. Um, and, you know, in, in hindsight, when looking back at that, uh, you know, that was real. I didn't acknowledge that at the time. I was like, no, this is because, you know, color my skin, you know, I'm not giving the opportunity. But in hindsight, there is something there that we have to acknowledge. 
So talk more about the fear, because I think that's really interesting that you said that, because I, I think stereotypes are driven by fear. I mean, generally speaking, they're, like you said, there's a some kind of threat that exists within that con in that construct and i mean what what how did how did that make you feel about other people having fear that you might be harming their livelihood or whatever yeah um can't speak for them but uh a person looking in from the outside i I look at my parents and my parents' family and friends who moved to England uh, in the 50s and 60s, they moved there for one reason, because um, there were no jobs in India, and England were, England was promoting bringing people over because they had a, a shortage in manual labor uh, roles, right? So working in factories and so forth, they brought people over to do that. And then what happened was, as people started moving over and started becoming successful in their roles, people started moving to the ranks pretty quickly. And it wasn't accepted. It wasn't accepted because uh, people are well, yeah, uh, they're from they're from another country. Why are they taking my job? Uh, and I think that some of it exists here as well in the U.S. today, where that the fear is oh, they're here to take my role, and that's not what what, what we're here to do, right? We, we're here to be successful in everything we do, whether we're on a podcast together to be successful, or we're in a, in a work environment to be successful. We're looking at we're looking at uh, working towards a common goal, which is. Um, uh, you know, successful the organization or the system we're within. Um, I think the fear part of that is individual fear creates um, resistance, and that resistance either can um, limit you in, in growth, or uh, some people who are really good at with leadership can actually help grow that. And I kind of I'm interested in Jess's perspective on this because she and I and Greg have had conversations about the varying versions of fear and kind of having a place in the workplace from a traditional standpoint. And I'm using air quotes for this visual podcast, but the reason I'm saying that is because it's wrong. Uh, But if you're thinking about kind of what you were talking about, Sonny, from kind of the industrial revolution into factories and into, and even now going into software delivery and delivery centers and so forth, but Jess, you know, we've kind of talked about that in terms of a woman's place in that and kind of what's with, with, with what Greg, I'm sorry, what Greg, what, what Sonny's saying, what, what's kind of keying with you? Is there anything that you're kind of hearing that's, that's striking a, a chord for you? Yeah, well, I think, Sonny, I think you're spot on. And, and the interesting part for me is, um, is, is that fear is so misplaced um, because in all actuality, when you have a more diverse group of people, it raises the water level of everyone, right? Just because just because someone else starts to become successful, it doesn't doesn't mean that someone else now is no longer successful, right? The the more successful we are as a collective, the more that we learn from each other, our it's our collective water level sort of gets raised, and we get to we get to experience more than what's in our tiny you know our tiny purview, and the more that we do that, the more that um, I, I'm making of course in our visual podcast sort of like we have we we can put on essentially horse blinders, right? Where we only see one small section of the universe that we're in. And the more we get to know people, the the more we get to see more of what's out there. I, I mean, I think that diversity of experience in a team or in an organization actually 
creates a richer experience, a richer environment, um, and a more interesting environment for everyone. So, Justin, may I ask you a question? Because I, I, you know, I've known you for, you know, a good amount of time, and you're somebody who people might have said was shy, um, <laughs> but you, but, but, oh, you know, over time, you were able to overcome that, and, you know, really you know, I don't want to use the word exert yourself, but you definitely made an impact on organizations um, in, in in your career. And I, I just wonder what it what it's like to, you know, have that sort of moniker put on you, but then at the same time you're trying to break out of that. And it goes back to leadership, which is kind of what my point was, which is if, if you don't have, if you have leadership that's just trying to get their job done versus growing people, as you were talking about, right? You, you, you're never going to know. And again, there's an emotional cost to it because you have to spend time. You have to spend emotional time with people to get to know them and see what they're qualified to do, see what they're good at, and find a good place for them. And that's, you know, that's a hard thing to do. And a lot of managers don't do that. You know, I have my whole rant about managers, how they're crap, and how mostly if there's a problem in a company, it's probably because of a manager. But, you know, I mean, I, I just think I feel very strongly about that. And everything you just said really made a lot of you know, sense to me because you got to put the, the energy into it to find people that are finding out what they're good at and what they want to do. And if not, let, help them move on, too. I love what you just said there, Greg. And I got very excited because <clears throat> you used two words in there that, that, that make a big difference in – and really in overcoming things like stereotypes or helping um, someone who might be considered shy figure out what their, how they're, how to find their voice in their own way. And it's the difference between managers and leaders. Yeah. Right? Like managers are there to manage. Leaders are there to help to grow people. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be with leaders like you, Greg and Brandon and Sonny um, and uh, several others who, uh, you're right, I was very shy. I mean, if we take this back to stereotypes, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman in IT, except that oftentimes I'm referred to as a girl in IT. Mm -hmm. And girls aren't good at math, right? Mm. Like, so there's, there's all of these kind of layers that you can unpack um, or that have been put on you. I'm even worse. I'm a blonde girl. Get out of here. <laughs> How <laughs> many blonde girls do you make? That's not official blonde. We know that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a dishwater blonde. I know it's gross. Anyway, um, but, but it does, you know, you get these things sort of put on you. Um, and it's, it's as as someone who's worked to kind of to try and shift that internally for myself, I get to decide if I want to continue to take those on. Cause as it turns out, I, I do have a voice. Um, and I, I see things, um, potentially in a different way than other people do. And there's value in that. The more perspectives that we can get, the, the better we're going to be able to see whatever it is that we're looking at, whether it's a problem, you know, a, a learning space, whether it's, you know, how to develop people, whether it's how to shift from managers to leaders, whether it's transforming an organization. The more perspectives that we have to look at something, the, the 
the better we are going to be able to inspect that thing and make conscious decisions and intentional decisions. So I'll say one more thing, just and I'll stop talking. But it's interesting that you said the amount of time, not likely, the amount of time (laughs) that you could be doing productive work versus fighting the stereotype. Mm -hmm. Like how much time do you think that is? Is it 20% or I don't, it doesn't need to have a number associated with it, but it's just a waste, right? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That that for me, what you you said that while I was thinking when you were talking was, yeah, the waste that you're creating just by having that conversation, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's kind of interesting in terms of the world we live in now where we're, hey, we're doing a virtual podcast. People don't know we can all see each other on video and so forth. You know, if you're just listening to this and you're listening to Sonny and you didn't know his name, you'd be like, oh, British guy. He must know something historically. Like, let me listen into what he has to say. I'm talking stereotypes, right? I mean, like, let's be honest. This is, you know, Agile After Dark. You know, it's it, people are like, oh, I love the British accent. Uh, it, I'm, it must be informative, right? Uh, but, like, you know, when people, it's kind of the almost the diversion of the senses of, you know, people see you, they make a judgment. People hear you, they make a judgment. People look at your resume, they make a judgment. People know what role you are, they make a judgment. I think all of those things, and I, you know, I kind of want to make sure that we have a little bit of time to, in, from an agile perspective, is to take all of those things and then kind of get into. We have this certain kind of cultural group that tends to be in a development group, right? Let's just be honest. It's most people look at it in a certain way. It's whether it's, you know, whether East Asian or Asian, and and you know. Um, from the Philippines or what have you, right? There's kind of a, a, yeah. a culture that's made a great push in that way to help their economies and help their people to, to I mean, it's an amazing story, actually, if you think about it. Um, but then there's a certain stereotype that goes with that. Uh, and then there's a stereotype that goes with Scrum Masters, right? A lot of times it's from the project management world. When I was a project manager back in the day, people used to say, oh, all women should be project managers. Men shouldn't be project managers. I don't know if you guys ever heard that, but I've heard that as a VP of project managing. Well, uh, as, as by the way, as my as, as as being with my wife building a house, yes, they should be. <laughs> women should be project managers. Let's just put it that way. Greg. Greg. Stereotype. We can strike that. Out yeah. Yeah. Line. No. No. That's that's in there. That's just for you and Allison to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, so do you guys understand where I'm going in terms of that kind of it's from the initial sort of whatever reaction of the per- person that it is. And well, let's also talk about introvert. We talked about that a little extrovert, yeah. introverted, extrovert, whatever it is. There's kind of all these layers of that onion, if you will. Right. If you just kind of keep peeling stuff back, but then if you keep doing that in a productive way, and we can kind of talk about that in the next section in terms of what are some of the things we do again, you know, to prevent that. But um, what are some of you guys experiences in terms of, how you've your observations of how leaders or managers have interacted with teams and the stereotypes there and kind of the the the, the negative impact that's had because i'm interested in that and then we can talk in the next section about some of the stuff we've seen that's to help mitigate that so let, let me share a sto- let me share a story with you because this is what's resonating with me um 
So in 2011, uh, the company who I worked for, uh, based at, based in New England, they were they were uh, moving positions around the country, and the team that I was with uh, was impacted by a move. And uh, at that point in time, I was a, a business systems analyst on the team, and you know, being around uh, scrum masters, being around other you know uh, uh, core skills uh, within uh, development teams, and as a part of the move, I, I requested that, uh, is it possible for me to take on the Scrum Master role? You know, I've been around enough, I think I know what the Scrum Master role is about. Um, uh, would you be willing to do that? So my boss at the time said, yes, you know, I would love to consider you. Um, he spoke to his boss and she came back and said, well, no, uh, we want someone who's experienced. Uh, because a Scrum Master role, you need to have experience being a Scrum Master. And I'm like, okay, sure, if you know the construct of what Scrum is, uh, that's enough to get you going with being on a development team enough to get you going with right so we kind of get limited in, in that approach but then what happened was fast forward uh moved to texas um and um the the scrum master on the team at the time he um wasn't very good at his role they brought an experienced person in i'm, I'm using air quotes as well so you guys can't see me but um <laughs> they brought an experienced person in uh, this person Again, didn't do a very good job. And then fast forward, he got he got let go. Um, I ended up taking the role eventually. And I'm thinking, how much lost lost effort or lost mm. sunk cost as an organization did you have to go through to get there? And um, I got you know, acknowledgement after acknowledgement saying you're doing a fantastic job, you're doing this, you're doing that. I'm like, we could have, you know, because is it is it because of stereotype? Because I wasn't a scrum master? Is it because of something else? Uh, but that's what, you know, when you mentioned that is what was resonating with me. Mm. Experience. I didn't even think about that piece of it. Right? Yeah. What is, what is experience, right, in terms of that sort of stereotype of, yeah, someone could have been in this role for 20 years, but maybe in that role for 20 years because they couldn't do anything. I, you know, I don't know, right? You know, it, it, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, value that can be associated with experience. Well, and you can be over-experienced too. You know, I mean, it's it's sort of like – Again, this this topic is deep because is. everybody has stereotypes. It doesn't matter if and they they can be helpful in some respects. Like women should be we, project managers. Yeah, my wife included. Um, <laughs> but you know, but they can you know, be, but they, but they're they're so prevalent, and you sometimes you don't even know they're using you before you can use them. Because there's just it, there's no way out of it. I mean, you you're just always going to have an opinion about your experience, and the, that's the problem. Is because you have a perception and a construct of your experience, and so then you project that onto other people, which is totally unfair. And you know, it's it doesn't work because you don't know what those other people's perspective is, what their lives have been. You don't know any of that, but yet still you're going to put them into that. You know that category, especially the jabronis here in New Jersey. Like, I definitely have an issue with them. But anyway, strike that too, Brandon. Well, well the interesting part, Craig, is that because you're right, and I think that um, the fact that we are distanced or virtual can sometimes make that even easier. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. If I think about some of the 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 centers we have in in India or um, the Philippines, you know, 
since there's limited face-to-face or there's a, you know, there's a one-person connect, uh, there's, there's a huge amount of stereotypes that can be placed on people that you've never met or never taken the time to get to know, right? So you can make assumptions about, well, they'll work whatever hours, you know, or they'll, they, 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 and it turns into a a they situation instead of a we situation. And unless there's intentional effort put in to actually get to know the people on the other side of the planet, you know, we can just, we can paint them all with one brush instead of recognizing that these are individuals with individual lives and individual experiences. So Jess, uh, what you just said there is uh, absolutely spot on. I'm just thinking about example of, of the client I'm with right now. The team that we're coaching is based in India. And you're right, uh, it's, 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 it's a culture within, within the Western world to whenever you say jump, they jump, right? In, in, the, in these, in these uh, I would say developing nations, but I hate that use that word, but that's what yeah. unfortunately we have to use here. But Delivery centers, right? Yeah. Yeah. But developing, so they're still developing nations, right? Mm-hmm. So um, um, so what we have in the time now with right now is um, the team is based in India and we're coaching that team in India. So instead of trying to, so instead of trying to um, ask them to do more, so we ha- we actually so we being um, myself another technical coach, we actually uh, changed our approach and 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 uh, adjusted our schedules to be more available to them, right? So uh, we're up at twelve thirty in the morning and back on the call at six in the morning, right? So it's not not easy. Uh, we're doing it because we want to show that you know we want to give them the time and the space to learn. And as you said, if you have a one person connect or you have um, other um, limit limitation. You want to try and get as much as, as much value as you can from that. One 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 additional point to that, Sunny, because I've uh, the, I was coaching some teams in Manila not too long ago, and the, the interesting part was one it it's it start it's well, at least in, in this instance it was a little bit startling for these individuals to all of a sudden be like, wait, you're talking to you're talking to us like you're actually. But by the time we were done with our um, with our time with them. I knew chickens' names because they had awesome chickens running around. I knew grandparents' names. I knew parents' names. Like people would come in and see why on earth we were all laughing so loud, you know. Like, but 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 my my hypothesis is is that that because of that experience and and they can and we continued to check in on them, the product that they're building is actually exceptionally better as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a day, they're not painted with one paintbrush, but rather there's a depth of experience that's brought brought into the work environment, which in turn can create a, a better outcome, a better product. Yeah, and we want to talk about that hypothesis and kind of how we've done things to, to get us to that point, uh, to, to break through the, the challenges that we talked about uh, for people based on their culture, based on their experience, based on uh, kind of their being an introvert or extrovert. We want to approach all those things on the other end of the, of the conversation. Uh, but we're going to take a break and we're going to get a word from our sponsor. Data, data, data. You need some statistics to use to make your point, no matter how wrong it is. Well, come on down to Dataplex. Data, data, data. That's right. You, too, can use statistics in any way you find useful for you and only you. Make it simple like red. 
yellow, green, or make it super complicated with correlations and regressions. Data, data, data. So come on down to Dataplex and make your bullshit story a reality. You fell asleep in the microphone by the point that we did this part of the podcast. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Jessica, did you tell him what you said yeah. to me? Did, what did I say? You said, was that because Sonny was so drunk oh. or is because Brandon was so drunk that Sonny fell asleep? <laughs> <laughs> I still, no. I'm, I will never forget the that wings? time. You and me. We were at Buffalo Wild Wings, and you were hammered yeah. and telling me the longest story of all time, and you'd go back to the beginning like three <laughs> or four times before getting to the end, and I finally looked at you, and I was like, you need to eat your wings. I need to go to bed. <laughs> Did he say, no, listen to me. Listen no, yeah, to no, me. No, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> the whole time waving his wing around, not me knowing that it's never actually going to get eaten. So we're back from our break, and the next section is going to be what actions can we take to counter stereotypes Dude, we're, ta- first, we're talking about our drinks i know but first we're going to talk about our drinks that's what i'm saying as last are dark even though it's not so we're gonna... it's semi-dark in new jersey it's definitely not dark in phoenix and well i don't know about so dallas and minneapolis bright. but right well so i'll go i'm i'm i kind of went back old school mm. mostly just because i didn't have any bourbon i went back to the the vodka cranberry uh, oh, drink sorry. that Brandon has made fun of me the for WC? years. The WC? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Waka so, cranberry? The water Waka closet? <laughs> he, if he was here, he'd put an umbrella in there and, <laughs> and make fun of me. But uh, I had to go back to that because I didn't have any bourbon. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm drinking. All right. Sonny, as a guest, you're next. Uh, should I get a drink? Well, what, he doesn't have I a say, drink. He I, has popsicles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what kind of popsicles are you drinking, Sonny? Vodka, 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 vodka. Vodka popsicles. The, the vodka Costco, uh, like strawberry, no. watermelon. No, I had a lime and I had watermelon. Mm, nice. I have something it's for my my watermelon discus. It's really weird, but tasted pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, but I don't, want, I don't want to say that if I'm drinking, I'm saying uh, if I'm to lime vodka soda. Well, that's the normal, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the standard. Is it, there, there's a story behind that where we were all in um, in the, the middle of the state of Illinois, and I went to a bar with Sonny and Greg. I don't think Jesse. I don't think you were there. And he was like, "Yeah, I want a you know vodka soda." And they came back, and it was like a in a plastic glass. And B, it was like super, it was almost a little bit bigger than a shot glass of stuff. And he was like, uh, no, 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 no. I want a, I want a big glass. I'm a big boy. I want a big <laughs> glass of, you know, vodka and, and soda. And they came back and it was like 90% soda and a little bit of vodka. He's like, no, 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 no. You please, you people are not understanding me. 
Is it because I'm you sound British? I don't understand. What's going on here? <laughs> that was that volleyball place. Yes, is the yep. yeah they play volleyball. Yep. There's like some serious oh, yeah. volleyball players. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's not, a, Yeah, but anyway, go ahead, Jess. Actually, I had, I had an experience recently, uh, something kind of similar, Sunny, where I ordered a Bloody Mary. You guys, this was mm. so I couldn't even. So I ordered a Bloody Mary, right? But I said none of the stuff in it. Like I couldn't think of Sorry. the word. Garnish, oh, right? So yeah. yeah, I just didn't want any of the stuff in it. So the man, I, I am Whoa. not even kidding. No vodka. You comes vodka. back, hands me, just sits in front of me, and then walks away, a, a pint glass ice with a shot of vodka in it. <laughs> could have been worse. <laughs> it could have just been tomato juice. That's what I thought you were gonna come back. <laughs> no, just literally. A, shot of vodka because I asked for none of the stuff in it. I was yeah. like, are you, oh my, deep, okay. And it took me like 10 more minutes to flag him down and which, which of course in the meantime I was, I was thirsty and then I didn't, it didn't you know, I just grabbed, because I was doing something else, grabbed it just a big old gulp of vodka and I was like, mm. I, okay, this man needs to come back and get me some bloody Mary <laughs> Yeah, that's very stereotypical of you to say a man bartender did not you know, achieve what he needed to well, do. She, I, she, mean. No, I mean, it is stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so, have you seen the latest Ted Lasso episode, Jess? No, uh, yes. don't run it. Don't, don't, okay. don't run it. I know, I, me too. I haven't I watched, I watched it I either. watched the whole first season again, and but I needed to, like, like the, mm. the Ted Lasso season two bucket needs to be more filled before we... Let's just say there's, a, there's a part of an episode <laughs> where Grumpy Pants is like, no, give me a drink. No, I need two of these. Give me, no, like he's like gr literally like grab tackling the waiter because <laughs> he's in a very uncomfortable dinner situation. <laughs> hey, that's what so I thought of. I need of. two more of these right now. Two more. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I think this is like seven times. He's like two more. <laughs> he like grabs the guy. Yeah. So anyway, you know what my favorite drink right now is chilled chilled vodka. Chilled. chilled Straight. Like good vodka. Yeah. Shots. Has to be good. Yeah. You yeah, that's not bad. I like that. Because when I lived in D.C., the, there was a place called the Russia House, which was definitely a front. But they had unbelievable vodka that they would serve in, like, the larger shot glasses. And you would drink yeah. it, and you were like, there's no hardness to it. There's no nothing. I was like, damn. Yeah. It, they well, may just serve me water. <laughs> yeah. But I'm feeling a little tipsy. As soon as they chill it and shake it, yeah, and, shake it and point it in the glass, um, you have a little bit of the ice in there. So it doesn't. it's mm. not as... As strong as drinking it, I'll drink it straight if I have to as well. But uh, it takes it takes the edge off a little bit. It's the W's. It's the W's. Right? It's the W's. It's the W's. Speaking of speaking of the W's, I'm yeah. back to wine today. Mm. Yeah. It, like you mentioned, it is early. And <laughs> don't 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 tell my career counselor, <laughs> but I am going back to work after this. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> who who is your career counselor? I can't remember. I don't know some guy thinks I'm Brandon Gartley, but you know yeah. he's whatever. We only talk. Yeah, visual podcast is the guy that's wearing you're killing me small shirt. Uh, so it's very no, I gave, I gave, I gave, I actually gave you the contest winner for best t-shirt in town all today as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I told you, I said in the messaging that I have the coordinating t-shirt with uh, um, with Gage. That's he's Smalls. He just said Smalls across it. Cute. That's um, cute. Uh, so I'm drinking uh, Santan. So this is a Phoenix uh, brewery. Their Moon Juice. 
<laughs> just been, I mean, we really should record this. I, I just am not. I don't like beer. Ooh, <laughs> moon juice. Moon juice. Like, Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> Rocks. That's and, what made the cheese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not like any cheese I've ever tasted. <laughs> that was from Wallace and Gromit, by the way. I love that. I love Wallace and Gromit. Wallace and Gromit, yes. Uh, shoot. All right, so uh, <laughs> we had a great first uh, part of the podcast uh, where um, everyone kind of gave some good examples and thoughts in terms of things that they've seen from uh, the negative part of stereotypes, which I think there's nothing positive from it. But we wanted to use this section to kind of talk about what are some of the practical ways we, I think, personally or professionally combated stereotypes. Um, so I know... One of the things that, Jess, you mentioned in the past section was, you know, people can have horse blinders and kind of say, hey, I'm just focusing on my thing. And it's not an excuse for anyone. Sometimes it could be because, you know, I got to pay rent. I got to keep a house over, you know, my, my, my family sheltered and so forth. I'm just like, I'm just paying attention to the world that I'm in and I'm not paying attention to someone else. But I think, you know, there's simple things that we've seen both from our group that we've worked in all together this group just kind of expanded beyond that because people have moved on from, you know, the, the company that we worked for. Sometimes it's literally doing a 15 minute thing each, you know, time a team meets and saying, tell me more about yourself. Like not just what's your professional stuff, what are your experiences and stuff, but it can be, this is where I'm from. This is my family. These are the things that I like to do kind of the stuff that you would normally get and kind of in the world we're in right now, it's really even more important, right? Uh, to kind of say, well, you, we're kind of humanizing each other rather than being little squares on boxes and in the screens that we're in, but kind of saying, oh, wow, you, oh, you have kids that, you know, are in this sport or you like going and traveling this place. Oh, I've been there and so forth. So sometimes just sort of that using those little things and it's, it's a very little effort, but just making sure that there's time to do that, that can be one way to, kind of expose people to, to different things. That's Brandon, you're, you're spot on. Um, and that's one of the things that I try to instill in just about everyone I work with that if we are in connection, if we're in relationship, if we're in community, our, our work product, a, we enjoy it a lot more. It's a lot more fun to work with people that you're enjoying spending time with, but also the end product itself is significantly improved. And it kind of goes back to you, you're, you invite in different perspectives, right? So if you're only looking at one problem, one project, one, you know, outcome or output, you may not see all kinds of other pieces of it. So And if we haven't invited that relationship in, then there are going to be people who don't feel like they have a voice or who aren't really interested in contributing because they're focused off in their own world. So spending that time making sure that you're in relationship and community is deeply deeply vital. And the other thing I want to point to what you were saying is the biggest way to break down things like stereotypes, um, things like profiling, <clears throat> is is to start is to start to meet people who aren't like you and get to know them, mm-hmm. and par- partly because well, partly because it's interesting and you get to learn a lot more about this world that we're living in, but also because to your point, like 
there are so many points of connection. And once you start to see the humanity in someone else, then they're no longer that paintbrush of whatever it is that you're putting on them. And, and you start to actually see that, oh, we are all people with all kinds of different experiences and, and, and all these things, but, but we're people and have any number of points of connection. Like that's that's the way that we start to change. That's the way I'm. That's the way that we can potentially start to change the divisiveness that we're living in right now. Right? Mm. Like I think we, I think we there's a lot of political paintbrushing of us and us at the versus them. It's we need to start to cross those lines in a, in a human way and start to get to know each other. And I think that that's true for work. I think that that's true for education. I think that that's true for just living in general. And Jess, I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't know if you have any sort of, in your experience, practical advice, because getting to know somebody who's, you could use the word foreign or alien to you that you don't know, it can be very you know, concerning and scary. So what, what is the way that if, there, if there's a practical perspective that you have on breaking down that barrier of getting to know somebody that is different from you and that you may not have anything in common with, yeah, um, to, you know, to just, just practical steps to, to, to what's like the opener, as they say, right? When you're just like, hey, how are you? Like, what? how, how, how would you because I know you've done this a million times like how, how what's the practical advice of doing that because I think what you're saying is really important well I can point to something that I do with with teams or groups of teams or you know large groups of individuals and this works this works in so I work a lot with organizations right this works in all layers of the organization from teams to c-suite leadership start with something easy start with a very like I mean, sometimes we'll do something like a weather check-in. You guys have all probably done this. What's your What's the weather outside? What's the What's your internal weather? Like, just start building up. Make the questions a little bit deeper and a little bit chewier. Um, at, you know, then there's an there might there might be sort of like, do you have a pet? Or um, what is something on your desk right now that might surprise people? And then start building and building, building. And then a couple of, you know, a couple of events later, a couple of other times later, you can start doing things like, what's something that you're most proud of this week? What is something that you failed at this week? Right. And continue to build and continue to build. And, and, and if you start to do that with teams that are kind of, that feel really disparate, there's, there's never not some point where there's a recognition that there's a, a human being on the other side, right? I mean, even if something is easy, if you're in a very large group, something around birthdays, what mm. month were you born? What day were you born? If you're in a group of 30, in all likelihood, you're going to find some, some birthday buddies, right? And it, so it's all those little things that just you start to recognize that there's a human being on the other side of this room or this screen or this concept, but sometimes you just want to start small. Yeah, Sonny, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things that are resonating with me. And I have, I have a question um, for you guys um, and see what your thoughts are on this. So I was thinking about what um, I think uh, Greg led, led off with uh, in terms of stereotypes in, in, in the workplace. 
um, especially with the teams that we work with. So I work with predominantly development teams, so uh, teams. Uh, so that consists of analysts, developers, testers, scrum masters, product owners. You know, this could go on and on, right? But um, what, what I what was resonating with me in that conversation was uh, the stereotypes that even teams have about themselves or individuals about themselves is something that we also need to talk about here. So I'm thinking about from an agile perspective, when we when we when we engage engage with teams, we're trying to break down barriers, we're trying to bring people closer together, right? Um, but often what we what we see, and I see it time and time again, which is teams uh, tend to look at, well, I'm a developer, I know better than the tester, right? And it gets into into that realm. And what we try to do is break those uh, silos and barriers. And what are your thoughts on that? Because that's my approach is what, what I would do as a coach. But what would you guys do? That's a great thing. I mean, I think part of it for me is there's something magical about being part of a team that is it's so great because outside of software delivery, teams can be very kind of soft constructs, right? Teams can be, uh, yeah, we're kind of working on the same ad campaign or, yeah, we're working on the same sort of product overall, but it's it you don't have the same sort of we have this end goal. We have a, a thing that we know we're trying to create out of nothing, right? And I think in, in the Agile world, it's, it's really kind of cool, and I think that we've all seen it where we can have teams that we've gotten involved with that feels so disconnected and they feel so hierarchical, uh, you know, where, you know, we have senior versus quote unquote junior, you, as you said, to testers, to developers, to quote unquote product managers and portfolio managers. And there's this hierarchy and stuff. And yet when we've had the most success is, is coming in, to, that's part of why it's really great to have this conversation as part of this, this podcast is because I think, honestly, Agile is at its best when it really breaks down stereotypes. And it says, right. doesn't matter in terms of how the person looks, how they sound, what they do, their experience, uh, how they approach things. Kind of all the things are there, but we have, a, we have a framework to kind of harness all of that and say, how do we share these things together in a way that we're still making progress, but we're still getting input from everyone and we're and we're encouraging that and so that for me that's what i've always loved about kind of this as a practice is that i love team sports when i was part of a team i was never the best player on a team but people always looked at me and say like to like jessica you're like the most enthusiastic like you're the person that says we're gonna do this and we're like we're gonna you know make sure that we had the most fun and all this kind of stuff and that was my role even though i wasn't the best player and people appreciated that me playing that role, even though I wasn't the tallest or the fastest or whatever. And I think that we get that out of the agile piece as well. And that's that's why I think for this particular podcast is really important to talk about these things because agile, I think, is a great way to start to break down these things. It's not the it's not the silver bullet. There's still problems when we get in some of the more sophisticated scaling. We kind of encourage some of these stereotypes. In some of the scaling, right? But mm -hmm. I, I think that in its purest sense, without being too religious about it, I think it, you know, at its purest sense, it really breaks down some of these stereotypes. 
So, so uh, something else you just said there, Brandon, is really resonating with me. I think about uh, where I've come from in my, my, my personal life and my career. I'm the biggest influencer. I'm asking you guys who your biggest influencer is for you guys. I remember this um, um, a video and a book I read by a guy named Ricardo Semler. He's a guy from uh, Brazil. Uh, uh, his father's company is called Semco, which he took over. And he, and he has pod, he has TED Talks out there as well. If you haven't seen it, you must must read it. For me, when I actually read his book and, and watched the video back in, like I said, in the uh, probably late, late 90s, for me, it just resonated so much because he turned an organization, very hierarchical organization, from managers uh, watching people go to the bathroom, timing them, low quality. You know, again, it's all in his book. It was, you know, you, 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 you know, Jess is grabbing her head thinking, oh, my God, is it really like that right now? But, but, but seriously, for me, that was the biggest influencer for me because I knew that that is... That is what I'll, I gravitate towards, right? And that's for me was my biggest influence. And I always look back at that every conversation I have. I think about how that connect to me. Mm. But let me ask a question to you guys. Who I love that. Most- I love that, Sonny. That's that's a great question to ask. And I guess I'll answer since I piped up about it. You know, it's 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 unlikely, but Jamie Oliver to me, um, when I was in education. Um, he had been on this nutrition thing for schools and he did this great Ted talk where he just dumped literally a wheelbarrow full of sugar onto the stage and said, this is how much sugar one kid eats in one month and from school lunches, you know, cause that's a huge, that's a big deal in education is free and subsidized lunch. And so he said, this is what we're feeding our kids. He went, he went on a whole campaign to try to change that. So when I had to do a campaign for dropouts, you know, to pe- to trying to get kids not to drop out of school, I took these little red beads and put them into these glass jars and they made a ton of sound. They like were like rattling. And we had three we had three speakers and we each after after I think it was 30 minutes, we each poured all of those into the jar and then at the end it was I think it was uh, an hour and 15 minutes or whatever. And at the end we said this is as many kids that dropped out in the time I started talking, so we had every single, mostly salespeople, every single person took one of those little, these little red beads, and I said, you're responsible. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, Greg. Mm. Followed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Jess and I were like, son of a <laughs> bitch. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's the, the influence of that in terms of him making that, that sort of impact from a visual standpoint, right? And then, then you being able to pass that on and it, all of the things, because everything we do, let me just kind of pontificate a little bit. Everything we do can work to break down stereotypes, right? Because those are red beans. They weren't people from urban cities or what the stereotypes you think of. Oh, you know, they've, they've dropped down stuff. Hey, I lived in a very suburban area in, in, in Dallas, Texas. And we had, you know, I started with 
at, at a very big school, uh, 7,800 people in my class and only 5,000 graduated. I mean, and you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the, in the, in the country, it can fail you. Right. And so for you, a red beat, like that's, that is a person, right? Well, it's also stereotype, bringing it back into stereotypes. Yeah. You know, a lot of those kids that drop out don't drop out because they're bad kids. Right. It's mostly because their schedules don't allow them to go to school, you know, at the time that normal kids go to school or whatever, or their family, you know, their mom died or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, no, I was going to say is like in terms of influence, it's kind of a easy and kind of simple answer. But, you know, it's, it's my dad. Uh, he is someone that, you know, was one of the first people to go in the Peace Corps, uh, went to Ethiopia. That became a big part of our life growing up is kind of that culture. Um, when we moved to Dallas, there's a big Ethiopian culture there. You know, we housed, uh, we had a friend of his family, their daughter basically lived with us for four or five years. And, you know, that, that impacted me in a lot of ways because, you know, living in suburban Dallas, you can kind of, to be honest with you, a little whitewashed and uh, where you grew up and, you know, kind of having that constant reminder of the culture that, you know, was so important in his life uh, and having someone that was, you know, from there, live with us, is basically my sister now. Um, it, it, it changed things. I wound up living in Africa for a while. Uh, and that in terms of what you talked about, just to kind of open your world, as much as I thought I knew yep. about different cultures and, yep. and different people, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, when you go to a, a country and you're, you were looked at in a certain way, you know, uh, as a minority in a way, if you will, uh, and kind of what that means and it, it really, you know, and, but never in a, never in a threatening way, just kind of, you just kind of sense it. Uh, it, it, the stereotypes of that, when you start to be stereotyped as a white male, you don't get that opportunity very often. And, uh, and I attribute that to, you know, what, uh, my dad brought me up as and kind of, uh, the influence to, to, to take that leap and go overseas and live over there at, uh, made a big impact on my life and you know still does and i i'd add on to that brandon and and uh, jess both i i went to south carolina and i worked in this crappy job and and it was the first time that i ever was the only white person in the whole neighborhood and i would go to lunch and i would i and that was the first time i i said this is what it feels like to be somebody of color in you know in in a community like i i it was the first time i actually figured that out and even though i read books and whatever I, that was the first time i actually felt it you know and it was it's a, a it's huge a, impact on me it's a piece of it let me let me clarify it's a piece of it you know i still had diplomatic immunity when i was living <laughs> over there i didn't have to worry about being incarcerated or anything like that so i'm gonna be very clear i'm not saying it's exactly the same uh, but it, you know, that yeah. was all as, Imagine, a, as, as to your point, Sonny, that was always a root cause of someone that was very influential to me, you know, to, to open my eyes a little bit. And I guess I'm a little bit confused because growing up in England, you know, talking about stereotypes, uh, uh, obviously, uh, uh, uh my parents are from, from India, born in England, raised in England. 
Uh, I was never considered as being English, even though when you hear me, you probably think I am English. Um, but then the English don't consider, but the English native, native English don't consider um, person like myself being uh, uh, English, uh, even though now it's it's completely different. There's second generation, third generations of family and friends who are who were born and raised in England, but still you're not considered as a, an insider, you're cons always considered as an outsider. And then if I go to India, people don't consider me as Indian because I was born and raised in England, so yeah. where do I fit? Great. Yeah, Great. that's a good point. Yeah. And so, and I want to get Jess the opportunity to, she's been thinking about that, and I tried to do a buffer between what Greg did to to her, but I also want to, you know, in the time we have left, and, and yeah. kind of make sure that we're speaking to the things of what we've done either as coaches or personally and stuff that we kind of use to, to battle it. But Jess, do you, I want to make sure you have a chance to answer the question that Sonny had. I will in just a second. But now you're an English, not English, mm. Indian, not Indian, living in America. What's, yeah. what's Am I that? American? Am I American? I'm, I'm a, I'm a you citizen. Passed, you're a citizen. I'll well, say you passed a test that I could not pass. So congrats. <laughs> well, but is there like, do you, is, do you have the same type of res like responses here, just out of curiosity, that you that you did there, or is it is it similar? Um, is it different? That's a very good question. Uh, I don't think I've ever faced that type of question, and I think that's probably a good thing, right? So growing up in England, I faced that question o often, uh, and here I haven't really faced it. I think people are more accepting of of that here. Whether it be in their personal life or in the work life, there's more acceptance of that. And Sonny, remind me, you did you grow up in Sheffield or where did you grow up? A very small city. It's actually a pretty large city, but no one's ever heard of it. It's called Coventry. Uh, next, the next biggest city is Birmingham. Birmingham. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So middle of the country, hundred miles north from 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 London, uh, hundred miles south from uh, Manchester and places like that. So middle of the country. England's not very big. But you got as far away from the coast as you could. <laughs> uh, yeah, my parents, again, uh, again, look back at what my parents did when they moved to England in 66. Yeah. It was manufacturing. Yeah. Manufacturing was big in, in Coventry. Yeah. Uh, during the Second World War, yep. again, tell a little bit of history, uh, Second World War, a lot of manufacturing, uh, allied uh, manufacturing was in, uh, in Coventry. They built a lot of the planes, a lot of the ammunition, and we got blitzed a lot during the, uh, during the Second World War. Um, so the Germans bombed the city a lot during the Second World War. So that's the big well, and they also built a lot of awesome cars yep. in that area too, right? Yeah, Jaguar. British accent, mm -hmm. we got a history lesson. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Stereotyping, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good call, yes. Jess. Remember when we used to just talk over you, and now you're zinging us. <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> my my tiny lady brain has decided that it's not so tiny. Um, so <laughs> the uh, uh, the question was biggest influence, not to pile on to Brandon, but for sure it's it was my dad, um, without a doubt, and and for a myriad of reasons. Um, I think one of the biggest being I grew up with a father who is one of the most curious humans I've ever met in my whole life. Right, like if he didn't under, understand something, he'd take it apart and figure out how it worked. Um, and or if 
if he if there was a musical instrument that he didn't know how to play, he'd pick it up and figure that out, right? I mean, he played everything. He played trumpet, bass, guitar, piano, violin, um, uh, accordion. The worst one was when he picked up bagpipes. That was a really rough week and a half. Mm. Oh my God. Um, it's a but, weapon. It's not a. Fast, it's not a. It's a weapon. But that's how fast he would pick that stuff up, right? But he he just was really curious about how these things worked and how he could put the notes together. But he's also curious about food. So I mean, our my comfort food was was always like Thai food or Indian food. That's what we that's what we ate at home um, because he wanted to learn how to cook it, and well, he also just loved different flavors. Yeah. We always had. He always. His best friends were always people that weren't white Americans that came from, you know, the same place that they've always lived. We always had, um, I mean, <laughs> the color, the colors that would come over and the sexual orientations. I mean, we, we shared a, a dinner table consistently with people who were nothing like us. And it was because of, it was because he was so curious and, um, and enjoyed being around people who were, who grew up differently than he did. Um, Another uh, another big thing that I took from him was was do what you love no matter what. Um, the biggest example of that for me was uh, we were there was a point where we were living in Kansas, um, and he was a he was a big scuba diver. Obviously, look at how much there is to discover under the sea, right? How how what more can you be curious about? There's a whole world under there that we don't know a whole lot about. Um, but not a lot of scuba diving in Kansas, mm. as it turns out. So he volunteered for the um, the zoo in Wichita and cleaned the fish tanks, so he could get his gear on and 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 make sure that he was practicing that stuff, um, because he just he loved being under the water and having that experience. So um, he was a really joyful, really curious human being, um, and I think I think that that shaped that shaped who I want to be, mm. it's shaped who I've become, I think. Um, and I've got so much gratitude for the time that I had with him. Well, okay. You've, you've, you definitely aced my story. Just, just for a clue. <laughs> no chance, Greg. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But I mean, the curiosity. Thanks for the question though. Yeah. Funny. That was, that was really lovely. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. it. Because I think yeah. that's, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just say I was gonna say uh, from a um, the perspective of the question, I was just thinking, you know, out out loud because I was also pondering that question before I answered it because my my mom is is also my I'm a mommy's boy. Um, my, my my brothers and uh, my brother and sisters know that I'm a mommy's boy. Um, so everything about her, she's like my best friend. I'll, I'll talk to her all the time. Uh, whether or not we agree eye to eye is a different matter, but I'm still a mommy's boy. But what's what what I what I was thinking from um, uh, the angle of uh, from work perspective, you know, my mom's always said to me, treat people how you want to be treated. But you no, know, fast forward 10, 20, 30 years, it's really treat people how uh, uh, they want to be treated, right? So mm -hmm. that's the important message here. So uh, all, what, the stories, story examples you shared is perfect because I think again how we're raised, how we approach things, it's the openness that we're talking about that uh, kind of destroys the stereotypes that we're, we're kind of discussing today. It does. And I think, you know, Jess touched on curiosity. Uh, Greg touched on kind of impact that decisions we have can make on each other. 
um, exposure is what I talked about. And, you know, Sonny Mama's boy, you know, <laughs> but I no, but I mean, is honestly outside of, I was really struggling because not to, to make you guys feel that good, but I was, I was struggling because when you guys said that we've had a very unique situation to work with the people that we've worked with, the people that have been on this podcast, honestly, in my adult life, maybe besides my wife, like you guys have probably influenced me the most. And we have a pretty darn diverse group of people that we've worked with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And I've never had that situation before in, in different professional environments and stuff, whatever reason where I was and where I worked, it was a little less diverse. Let's just say that. Um, and to Jess's point from kind of the first section, that's when we see the most impact. And that's definitely been the case for me is, and, and to give some practical examples, uh, Ruth, who people don't maybe know that are on the podcast, this amazing African woman, unbelievable, like the, the passion and the strength that she has and the family values and everything that she brings to her work. And when I was saying, you know, well, give a little leniency. She was like, no, I feel strongly about this. And I was like, okay, that kind of made me look at things a little differently. Right. You know, it's interesting, Brandon, I'm going to add on to this because we, we had such a diverse group of people that were comfortable talking about diversity yeah, and not being stereotypical there that we, we all just had fun with the fact that there's white people and Indian people and black people and African people and male, female, whatever, or you sexual know, orientation. doesn't matter. Yeah. Sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that, we had all of it and we all just got along and we didn't, we had our struggles. Yeah. That is true. But for the most part, we, we really appreciated everybody's point of view, you know? Right. Yes. I mean, Jess, do you agree with that? 10,000%. I think the qual again, it goes back to the quality of work that we did because we had so many perspectives mm-hmm. was significantly in, in, improved. And we could appreciate, that's what, I mean, it was lovely. We, we appreciated each other's, we appreciated each other's differences. <clears throat> We enjoyed, we got to learn, right? We joked around a lot about it, but yeah. we also got to learn a lot. And and at the end of it, I mean, some of some folks have moved to different, you know, moved on to different organizations or different clients or whatever. But at the end of the day, A, we still have a, we still have a very long running chat thread that, that goes on all the time. And we can challenge each other in it. And we know that it comes from a place of love and learning. And we still call each other family, right? When you when you when you bring that kind of group together, and they can do the kinds of work that they're doing, that I mean, we're not we're not the traditional persistent team, mm. but this is a team that we now have for life. This is a family that we now have for life. And when things come up, I mean, I remember, you know, George Floyd. Mm. And I'm obviously in Minneapolis, so there was an impact to me and to one of one of the other family members, right? That that is also here, and and we 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 ended up with a really interesting dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Because it comes from a place of love, and nobody's defensive, and we know that there's a there's a human being that cares about us, and that we care about them. We could have a, a really diverse, interesting sharing of perspectives that shifted the way that I was looking at what was going on here. Um, 
and and what my response could and should be to it yeah. right we- so that so that to me and then and I, I think I just want to end with I guess just the idea that the connections that you can build I'm gonna get teary mm. um, can be so profound when you bring that type of when when you bring the, all of those different perspectives together that you 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 can find community in a place with such diversity it to me that means that there's hope right yeah you know and and just the funny thing is we didn't plan it that way i mean i guess in some way i was responsible for pulling all those people together in some way a minor part but we didn't plan that to happen and yet we all just come came together and it was seamless it wasn't like it was hard to do Mm -hmm. well you know we also along with all of that emotional sharing and stuff we could be in a car together listening to lizzo to and rocking out to her her (laughs) lyrics and like oh my god i'll never forget that every time i hear any of her songs, I was like, oh my gosh, this whole freaking car <laughs> is bouncing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was just like the joy that comes with that. Great, because it comes with the, you know, we have a deeper understanding. We can, you know, we don't understand each other completely. You know, there's that's never necessarily going to happen. But, um, but anyway, I just wanted to say that I think that to kind of, you know, in terms of we were talking about the things that we do, we're a team mm-hmm. and we're coaching other teams and how to, to approach it. And I think we would always say to them is gain deeper understanding, whether it's through the 15 minutes in a PowerPoint, whether it's through, you know, spending time with each other. If, if you're able to be in the same space, like go get coffee together, talk about where they've, we've come from. And it's, it's much less the, hey, here's the work. Here's the things that we're doing together. Here's, you know, your experience and what we're doing and so forth. I would say, gosh, I would say probably 75 to 80% of it is, how do I know you? Like, you know, how do we relate? Maybe you want to go to a German restaurant in the middle of central <laughs> Illinois and break their, like, 100-year-old dioramas. I don't know. That might be a bonding. <laughs> and put things back in a way that's interestingly suggestive. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I want to thank Sunny for for joining us. We've been trying to figure out uh, a long time the right uh, podcast, the one that wasn't lost where he fell asleep on the microphone. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been good, guys. It's always good to talk to you guys. I know I feel actually really like in a good place. Yeah, and I was gonna say the same thing. I feel um, I was gonna say I was gonna say enlightened, but probably not not enlightened. But I feel uh, happy and yeah. and giddy from the inside because you know these are these are these are these are all the attributes that we think about are making a great team, right? So mm. um, we try to influence that in our day to day lives, and we're we're living and breathing that in this in this moment. So thank you for having me on. Thanks for being we, here. You guys, we haven't worked together for like two years. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing this. Mm-hmm. We're still having these conversations. <laughs> yep. Right? And that's a testament to the kind of uh, commitment and bond that we had together. Yeah. Yep. Right. And soon to come, uh, to, to some people's uh, dread, is we'll eventually have a video version of this so you can see oh, God. us in our very... <laughs> 
our various <laughs> states. Oh, good. So you're all going to be able to see what Brandon saw earlier was me recognizing that there was actually a tiny bug in the bottom of my wine glass. Which... And I've certainly recognized that it probably pooped in there and I'm super grossed out. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I, I made a very gacked out face and I thought it, Brandon almost spit taked for a second. I'm trying to ignore it. Yeah. This is the <sighs> this is from the woman that knows not to get any sort of fruit in her drink from the bar because yeah. <laughs> All right, well that's uh that's gonna wrap up our, our episode of this Agile After Dark. Uh please always as always send uh feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com. Uh find us on Spotify or on iTunes and uh we'll see you next time. Jesse, you okay with that? <laughs> She's not okay with that. Okay, we're back. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and we're back. Um, was that Ben Affleck that was in that skit? Yes, and also uh, I watched it again recently, and there's some that did not age well. No, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because it's uh, the, it the late night host now, right? What's his name? Yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Speaking of stereotypes, like... Yeah. Hey, Je- yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Jess, so what if I did your cousin from Boston, and you could do, hey, can I... Stereotypes work. I don't know what the big deal is. How do you count them? The, you just I don't. don't you just accept them. <laughs> I don't know the fucking problem. We gotta go to Walmart. Yablinka. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll I'll, I'll so let me run through it, this. It bust it bust in uh, terms. Uh, what is everyone drinking? What what what's <laughs> what, what they got at their personal bar? You're drinking now. Did you drinking. stab at Duncan? Uh, <laughs> and you're drinking some actual booze. <laughs> <laughs>